0: Making good, innovative music videos can get you work. David Fincher, Spike Jones, and Videohead guest Tamara Davis all got their start in music videos. Making a music video can act as a film school, a writer's room, and a cheap masterclass on how to make a movie. My guest Hannah Lux Davis went from being a PA and a makeup artist to directing videos for Nicki Minaj, Sierra, and Miley Cyrus in just six years. It's a good story. This is Videohead. Welcome to Videohead, I'm your host, Daniel Ralston. My guest this week, Hannah Lux Davis, directed videos for Ariana Grande, Megan Trainor, and Demi Lovato, and dozens of others, all before she was 30. We talk about how she made the leap, and the challenges that came along the way. Later, singer-songwriter and Oscar nominee, Amy Mann, stops by to talk about life on the musician side of the camera. We talk about making cool videos, making bad videos, and how she went from serious artist to Portlandia. Here's my interview with director Hannah Lux Davis. Do you have music videos from when you were a kid that you remember actually really liking and still are things that you kind of hold up as like the high points?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was obsessed with MTV TRL, like obsessed. Like I would race home from school and like see what videos were going to be on the TRL, you know, countdown. And I was like a huge pop fan. Like I loved like Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, like NSYNC, and it was really the heyday of music videos, you know, those years. I graduated high school in 2004. So if you can imagine like, You know, 99 to 2004 were just, like, huge years in music videos. And, like, you you know, even the early 90s before that, which influenced me, obviously. But um, any sort of Britney video. And then actually just recently I referenced, I had to think of a reference for something. Like this layered sort of structured building where you could, like, see in all the windows. And I was like, I know a video that this is from. And sure enough, it was from Backstreet Boys. And, like, I know I'm blanking on the song, but it was, I think I'll Never Break Your Heart. Uh Uh-huh is the video and like nick had like his slicked back wet hair and it was like so dreamy but yeah so like music videos were a huge influence on me growing up
0: um have you always been drawn to more like the visual end of stuff as opposed to narrative video making in general
1: yeah i've definitely been more drawn to like the creative you know anything goes sort of aspect about music videos which is what i really like what drew me into it because i grew up also like loving magazines and like making collages mm-hmm. so like anything that was really visually striking to me was something that like really got me going and then combining it with music and i also like grew up playing the drums so like i was very into music but like on a very like surface level like pop music like i said <laughs> but I like you know kind so combining those was like a really exciting thing it wasn't until like later on in life like you know, a couple of years ago and like now moving forward that I've mi- been more drawn to narrative.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so curious about that. It's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because I've directed a bunch of music videos and everything I've done is all narrative based as opposed to sort of like look or style based in that kind of way. And I'm so impressed by, by I would love to know, What goes into like a treatment for one of your videos when you're making them? We can loop back to other stuff from your past and all that. But I'm curious, like when you're presenting an artist with a a video treatment and it's very much based on the style and the feel what goes into that i think people would probably be interested to hear that
1: yeah i mean i'm always a huge fan of visual references and i may overuse them in treatments and overuse them throughout my process of like pre-production but i just think they tell so much and in the beginning of treatment writing like for me so like you know 6 7 years ago or so when i like first started really writing treatments it was a huge struggle to like how do you describe this like i have no idea like I was so I, got, I grew up not really reading or writing. So then writing treatments was like a huge like surprise to me in life. I was like I'm not going to be a writer. Like I'm just going to be a director. Like I didn't know that my job was going to have to be so much writing when I first got into this. I was like totally, you know, steer clear of that, right? So um yeah, r- learning how to describe a visual or describe what you're trying to say in a visual format is really tricky. And I think that It just takes practice. And for me, something I've had to do, you know, over the past few years is I've been taking like creative writing classes. Like I said, I grew up not reading and writing. I had like an eye problem growing up. So I had like a real disadvantage and I never really read because of it. But learning how to like use buzzwords that make sense to specific artists, like if I was writing a treatment for Ariana Grande, it would sound different than writing a treatment for Lil Wayne. Mm-hmm. Like it used different language. And you really just have to know what your audience is and know like, you know, who you're writing for. And they don't want to hear a treatment that sounds like, you know, like a suit wrote it or something that's too lengthy and too poetic. Like it, you kind of have to know what the song is and then kind of create your writing style to that vibe of the song. Right.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a big thing. Cause uh, yeah. It's, you know, when you you're writing for some like small like i've directed a bunch of videos for like smaller punk bands and stuff like that and i know if i come with like the flowery language describing sunset colors and stuff like that everybody's gonna be like what is this garbage i don't need to see any of this yeah all. they
1: probably won't even read it like and they'll probably be more gravitating toward whatever visual references you use in the treatment they'll be like oh cool i can see myself in that vibe great now i'll read the treatment
0: and look you mentioned the nick from the backstreet boys thing like that's the part you remember is like his slick-backed hair, hair in the shot somebody probably spent a whole bunch of time writing out like a story for that video this is very similar we had um jonas Ackerland on the show oh, he's like
1: a huge idol
0: yeah he was amazing he was the sweetest guy ever
1: oh my god it's still, <laughs> i mean i wish i was a fly in the room yeah. during that interview
0: he was pretty candid he told us that he really disliked the ray of light video for madonna okay. which you know won a grammy yeah, for best video all these video. things but he said it's like you were saying with the hair people were just ready for her to have a moment and he just happened to present this image that matched up to the moment people were waiting for this artist to have and he realized how little he had to do with that process yeah other than just providing the right thing at the right no, time no
1: completely like when lightning strikes you have no idea like yeah. if it's going to happen
0: well you've had that happen a few times i
1: don't know if i've had that happen like you really don't know until like later on i think uh-huh. when like the video still stands you know mm-hmm. what i mean like some like a video that keeps coming back for me where i like was doing the right thing at the right time even though it won no awards, which I'm still bitter about, <laughs> was "Bang Bang" with Jessie J, mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj, and Ariana Grande. To me, that like hit like a really cool, like empowering, like girl power moment in like today's age. But like, and that's the video that people are like. Oh my god, I love that video! Like, and then I think one other that may have done something similar. Nothing to the likes of you know Jonas Salkerlin's Madonna video, but was the Miley Twenty Three video mm-hmm. that kind of like hit like a cool pocket.
0: Right, and that's two videos you did with like sort of collaborative performances. What is a day on set like for for? Let's start with the Twenty Three video. Like, is that is it just a so much work? It's an overwhelming amount that you're going you just have to jump into it.
1: Yeah, I mean every video is a lot of work and you have to jump in and expect curveballs. But for whatever reason I've been I guess lucky enough to have the opportunity to be put in the position to deal with collaborations. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of collaboration videos like that the Nicki one with Drake and Lil Wayne. I've done Lil Wayne, Drake and Future. I've done you know like I said the Jesse J and Nicki Minaj, Ariana Grande, Ariana Grande and The Weeknd. Like, Nick Jonas staged the Gemini. Like, I'm put in a position to, like, be dealing with a lot of personalities. And I never thought in a million years I'd be totally cool, like surfing those crazy waves. But um, yeah, those shooting days are very extreme and you have a lot of schedules to work around and everybody's not just available all day for your shoot. And I am horrible at schedule. Like it's not my department. So I really leave it into the hands of my producers and AD department. Um, But yeah, man, it's go, go, go. And you just really have to be prepared for anything. Like all of a sudden an artist can be like, I'm not doing that setup. I'm gonna jump in that person's setup. And you just have to be like, willing to kind of go with the flow.
0: And I would think that editing your own stuff or working closely with an editor editor probably helps that process along though, right? Because you can start to think about the end product while you're making it too. And you know, when you have to put your foot down and say, I really need you to do this thing too, right? Like I would assume.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something I've um, been able to do more so with, like, more experience, like, and more videos under my belt. Like, you know, a few years ago, like, I would have, I don't know, like, I, I think, you know, I've gotten more confident in and saying like, no, I need this. Like I need this to make this video. Like you need to listen to me. I need this, trust me, I need this. Like I'm definitely getting, you know, I just had a job the other week or or the other last week where, you know, an artist didn't want to do a certain setup. And then, you know, I was given this amount of time to do something and I was like, no, I need this much time. Like, I'm like, you guys have to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like I'm able to now like have a better understanding of that. But yes, editing my projects definitely helps, you know, understand the full picture um, because I'm able to see, you know, I'm able to like kind of shoot for the edit a bit while also, you know, leaving room for creativity and spontaneity on the day. I'm able to like have a lot of flexibility in that.
0: Well, your videos are filled with, you know, great incidental shots, great B-roll. And I feel like that's probably part of it is that you're thinking about putting it together and getting the complete look of it. Because writing narrative treatments, it's something I kind of just started thinking about, like ways to fill them out more.
1: Yeah, because I think... Inherently, I've always wanted to do like narratives within the video, even if there's if it's just like a performance video or a conceptual video. Like any viewer still wants to have a you know beginning, middle, and end. You know, mm-hmm. so because it feels good to like have like a complete little three minute thing. But I remember in the beginning of my like video days, or not beginning, but in the beginning, near the beginning of my career, I would I actually just looked back on a treatment because I was looking for a visual reference for something. But I wrote like this whole like preamble before the song even start and like I did that a lot in the past like with videos. Now I kind of am able to like cut through that and be like okay, no, that can start in the beginning of the song. I don't need like a 20-second intro before and I was able to sort of like work through it narratively in that sense while still keeping a very visual based video. But yeah, because I'm an editor, I do know like no, I need something flashy that I can like cut for like this part of the song. I'm going to need something for like, you know, like the bridge is where you definitely usually want to introduce something new and different. And if you're not introducing something new and different in terms of like a main performance, you still want to have some other sort of filler or B roll Mm -hmm. that can kind of like take that space and keep the video evolving.
0: But you spent a lot of time on sets of music videos, even before you started directing them. Like you you were a PA on, on music videos and
1: Yeah, I was a PA and then I quickly realized that that was a very stressful position with like not a lot of payoff. <laughs> and then um, like people would ask me to like do something like, go tell that person to move the condor. And I'd be like, what the hell is a condor? And I'd be like freaking out or like I'd roll up to set and somebody would be like, hey, is the moho here? And I'd be like, yeah. I didn't even know what a moho was, okay? Like, I, you know, I, these are, like, two specific incidents that I remember being, like, this is scary. And then I was also, you know, I'm a girl, so it's, like, you know, I was, you know, in my early 20s, and you get looked at a certain way, and it's, like, uncomfortable. And, like, as much as I want to say that's not true, but, like, you know, there are like, grown men on the set, and then, like, you have to, like, do something, and I'm like, oh, can you lift that? Like, it just got, like, it wasn't a fun, like, working environment. I mean, I'm so happy I did it. I'm happy I, like, put in, like, those hours and like kind of paid my dues in a sense but yeah I quickly realized that wasn't for me so then I was like you know what? I'm gonna go to makeup school makeup is something I had been doing since I was in high school I did makeup for like My friends for prom, you know, even when I wasn't even, you know, a senior, I would do like, you know, makeup for days, I feel like, and like use my fingers instead of brushes. But everybody loved it and they keep coming back for more. And it was, you know, it was fun. And so, and then when I was in film school, I would, you know, volunteer to kind of do makeup on those projects and kind of be that role and like help out with styling, whatever. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to makeup school. I'm just going to like, research this a bit I was 21 you know so I'm not like you know older like trying to like jump into something I was really young so I went to a four and a half month long program at the cinema makeup school in LA and I learned beauty special effects character really useful stuff like I mean I had been been doing beauty makeup and like some character stuff on my own which is like bruises and cuts and stuff like that but it was just it kind of gave me more confidence to really go out there and be like okay I know I'm cleaning this thing right I know I'm like you know using this tool the correct way and it gave me more confidence to like work on bigger jobs and that's how I kind of got into um, commercials and I did some short films I did a couple features and so I was really able to be on set and see situations play out And it got me closer to the action. It wasn't like I was like doing a run and like getting water and like, Fixing the director's phone at the store. Like I was actually on set, like kind of eavesdropping in on creative conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a position where it's so great to have a, a skill set that kind of no, probably no one else on the set can do. So you're very vital. And when people can do those things on your sets as the director, and it's like very drama free and it goes very smoothly, people call you to come back. I assume again and again, you keep getting more work. And then that is that how you sort of build from doing makeup on music video shoots to actually directing do you or do you just sort of have to take the leap at some point yeah
1: i mean the whole time i was paing and doing makeup and you know doing whatever i had to do to make money I was still, you know, going after a directing career. I was reaching out to bands. I was going to shows and trying to find their manager and, like, pitch ideas backstage. And, like, literally these these things happen. Now I'd be like, I can't believe I did that. But, like, you know, it definitely was a different time in music to where there were... It was, like, a rock-pop scene. So back then there were so many rock-pop bands and, like, y- you know, you could go backstage and, like, find these people and make connections that way. But it was... I used the makeup as sort of a tool to meet crew people and meet like production people and meet like models and dancers and so and so. And like, that's really, you know, like the best thing I got out of doing makeup was the people I know now and that, that I work with now, like my production company that I'm with now, London Alley, they were the producers on a job that I did makeup on. So I literally met the people I'm like, I see every single day while doing makeup.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I'm always interested in hearing how much a project changes from your initial concept to what actually gets seen by the public. Can you think of an example where you had a treatment that was, that really evolved and became something super different by the end?
1: I feel like a, most of my videos actually feel and like end up like the treatment, like percent, 80% you know, of the time or 80% of the treatment will end up on the page. And usually if it's different, it's because it was better or like something wasn't working. So it wasn't the, like if the setup that we like tried to shoot wasn't really working for the artist, that may alter slightly and become a lesser piece of the puzzle than maybe what the treatment had set out for it to be. But um, yeah, I mean, I really try and make the treatment process as collaborative as possible with the artist. So we do make something that we you know have intended to make. Because what I think is, you know, so important is that the the video works for the artist 100%. Like, if it doesn't feel like the artist, it's going to fail. Like, no matter how great... I mean, no. If the song is amazing, the video will be amazing. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the song. But... um Yeah. I don't really know how to take that question. No, that's great. That's great. But
0: that actually reminds me of something you said before. You know, you talk about where you write something that has like a preamble at the beginning of the video. Oh, yeah. Those usually get cut, actually. of course. Any sort of like
1: preamble or any actually, yeah, any sort of like narrative that um, if you write like a big narrative into a video, you have to really like be realistic about what you can achieve in a day. And if you're trying to do a performance video and a narrative video, like something's got to give, like you can't shoot a performance video and expect to get like a full, blown narrative you can get like bits and pieces but like it's just too much to shoot in a day like you can do like we shot this video for Fifth Harmony for That's My Girl and um, it was a conceptual video meaning it was like a cool like different world it wasn't necessarily like you know down the street type of look you know it was definitely like its own world That was definitely something narratively driven that we were going for but on our shooting day like when you break a shooting day into a schedule you're like okay we have this much time for this 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 and this and so something had to give so instead of creating all these elaborate performances and then separately from the narrative we ended up combining the performance within the narrative so like okay we'll we'll shoot like her running down this like gritty like you know street all tattered and torn we won't shoot a separate performance somewhere else. Let's just combine the two. So there's a way you can you know, combine narrative and performance. But you can't like, unless you have two days of shooting, it's really hard to get like a strong narrative with different locations and you know different scenes that are needed to tell a story.
0: Have you ever had a treatment? Maybe this would be the kind of thing that would happen earlier in your career. But was there ever a time where you sent on a treatment and you're just like, well, this is a home run. Like, I know that this is perfect. And the artist is just like... No.
1: Yeah, actually. (laughs) Oh, okay. So for Fifth Harmony, it was for their song, That's My Girl, again. And usually with them, there's usually like a lot of revisions because there's like a lot of cooks in the kitchen. You know, rightfully so. There's a lot of people in the band and, you know, all that. So the first treatment I wrote for them was like this really cool, athletic-inspired, almost like a Nike or Gatorade ad type of spot to where it's really just sort of um, anthemic with like, you know, wild, you know, like lots of different visuals of them like doing various like active flipping a tire or doing ropes or like a girl like running on a track or a girl playing soccer, like all these cool different vignettes and not necessarily starring the Fifth Harmony girls, but it was a really cool like concept for That's My Girl because it was a very empowering track. And so I kind of envisioned like all these girls, like really cool athletes sort of coming together and creating this like anthemic sort of like, commercial like spot I'm like this is it this is a home run this is totally the spot and I like threw my hands up with excitement I'm like this is it they have to love it and then they were like okay so we're not into this and I was like no and I'm like not rewriting I love it it's great and I like tried to get on the phone and like explain the idea more and like go into further detail and had a million reference photos and videos then I ended up having to rewrite and that's when I came up with the other idea and so we did that but yeah I think there's it's funny because like at the end of the day like once the video they've that you know ends up happening for that song comes out that's when i'm usually like yeah my idea sucked that that would that didn't work (laughs) like that would never work for them or like it's usually like once i'm finished writing the treatment or finished putting it together that's when i'm like this is amazing Mm -hmm. and then like if i don't book it i'm like really pissed off and bitter and or just like you know bummed out and then um it's after i see the video or after i hear the song more or like you know it's lived on radio longer that's when i'm usually like yeah that was never gonna work Mm
0: -hmm. so yeah have you ever had a Video where you, you you don't have to tell me what it is But have you ever seen a video where you're like I also pitched for that video and my treatment was way better?
1: Yeah, I mean that definitely happens. I mean, it, but the, at the end of the day you never know what the reason was why a video turns out the way it is. I used to kind of like be like, "Oh my god, that director did that? Are you kidding me?" But then I, as the more videos I've done, I'm like, you know what? It it's probably wasn't the director who made that call, who knows who it was that made that call. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like at the you don't know like why a video ends up the way it does, and it's really nobody's like one person's fault. Mm-hmm.
0: Were those those Twin Atlantic videos the first two videos that you did?
1: Those Twin Atlantic videos were the first videos I did that were commissioned. Okay. Meaning that was the first time I had to submit a treatment, or I didn't have to. That was the first time I submitted a treatment and it awarded. Okay. Before that, it was me like hustling to find artists and videos to make on my own. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any of those early videos that are some of your favorites? Like pre-into pre pre, that system? Pre-Twin Atlantic? Mm-hmm.
1: No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm trying to think,
0: but for people listening, that is a thing to start yeah, your career actually, to okay. hustle it. You got to just ask people and make stuff. And yeah, just, okay, yeah. I, I did a
1: video when I was in film school at the LA Film School. So New York Film Academy was the first film school I went to when I was 18. And then when I was there, I'm like, oh my god, this school is tiny. I need to like still be in school because I'm like only 18 years old. Like I'm not ready to like enter the workforce. So I went to LA Film School, which is another year-long program. And there was tons of kids at that school, so it wasn't just a bunch of directors like trying to make things together. It was like production designers and cinematographers and editors and all that stuff. So when I was there, that's when I made a couple thesis projects. And one was for a band that I liked called My Former Self. And they were from like the San Francisco area. And the video is online somewhere. shot it on 16 millimeter film. We shot at a really cool jail and I had these awesome like lyrical kind of goth dancers and um, it was it was a lot of fun. It was like a rock performance video mixed with like these kind of dark high fashion visuals and you know, I shot on film like I said. So it was really fun to like play with like those film flashes, like the organic ones, not ones that like you put in after the fact. That was a fun video to make and I cut that and I was able to like take my time and like do whatever I wanted cuz like I paid for it and that one I'd still watch and be like, "Yeah, that's cool." I know there's one edit in that though. And every time I watch it, I'm like, why did I do that? Like, it's like a slow motion moment of like this guy singing. In the beginning of the video, I put this. I'm like, why did I put this shot of this guy singing? Like right here in the beginning when he's not singing.
0: You take a very big career jump at some point a few years ago where you're sort of working with bigger artists and all that stuff. How much does that change the final product? Are you starting to get like notes from record labels and people on set who you don't know why they're there and oh, stuff yeah. like that? Yeah.
1: I mean, it was it was that way. I mean... And I've said this before, but like making uh, being on set and like working with the crew and like, you know, directing never was like, a, oh, my God, now I'm doing this. The The weirdest thing was having to like, you know, collaborate with people who, you know, had a say in terms of like the final outcome like obviously i i I love being collaborative and i strive on like working with people that are not just yes people and like push me and like we can like totally vibe off each other but it was like dealing with a commissioner or a manager or a label and being like no i don't really like that shot like i'm like why you know what i mean like that like to me that's like that was the biggest you know sort of Surprise, or not really surprise, but I guess challenge, and that because it
0: feels arbitrary, right? Uh, To a certain extent, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, and now it's, it's, I think it's different. Like now, like now that I've like done more videos, but still, it's like, you know, I love working directly with the artist. I get why there's like, you know, the commissioner and the role of those people to sort of like be sort of a buffer in communication because artists have crazy schedules or they could, you know, have different intentions than like a label, but. Yeah, I think that was the trickiest thing to sort of grasp was that I didn't have final say on things.
0: Do you feel like as you've even gone further in your career, you're starting to get some of that back now? Do you feel like you feel more empowered?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I think that depends on the client. I work with Republic Records a lot and I love them because they are so cool and collaborative and just like really great people. It's usually when I'm working with any of their artists, like I'm able to sort of, they have a trust in me to like kind of let me do my thing and like vice versa. Like I'll definitely hear them out through all process. And I'm like, Hey, okay, what do you guys need out of this video? And like, you know, I definitely make sure that I give them what they want. Cause it's not my video. It's the artist's video. And we're all working, you know, to try and make the artist look amazing. So once they kind of give me like their, their game plan for like what they're trying to do, that's when they sort of let me do my thing. But it really just depends on the artist.
0: Music videos are something that, even when I tell people sometimes that I'm doing a show about music videos, they seem to feel like it's a dying art form.
1: Yeah, they're like, oh, they still make those? I'm like, shut up, bitch. But I like, feel exactly <laughs> the
0: same way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Literally, uh-huh. it happened to me today, and I was just like, I was telling somebody that I was a director of videos, and they are like, oh, where do they play those? And I'm just like, ah, oh, like, eye roll, like, where do you live? Like, And this was like a, like a young girl, like,
0: yeah, yeah. That almost just feels to me like just like a pat thing to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't even have any meaning. They heard yeah. somebody else say it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like obviously there are so many videos that are iconic. And, you know, if you look at the history of independent filmmaking, like almost every great independent filmmaker started as a music video director. You know, like we had Tamara Davis on the show, you know, who was Spike Jones's first mentor who who started making music videos. You know, we it, it actually still feels like an important thing to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great place to learn and play and, like, get experience and see, like, and feel your eye out. Like, I'll tell you, like, any of, like, the other directors from film school, you know, when I was in film school, like, are they, like, actually directing things now? Like, a very, very small percentage. But, like, music videos was a way for me to actually, like make something and you know, it's a great platform to just sort of get a sense of your style. And like, and now because I've worked with, you know, various artists like that have like, you know, some star power, I'm getting the attention of studios and I'm taking meetings with studios about movies. Mm -hmm. So it's a very powerful media still.
0: So once those meetings come to fruition and you're directing features, will you keep doing music videos?
1: Yes. I love music videos. I fucking love music videos. Like, they're so ingrained in me. It's insane. Like, I get so excited by the idea of music videos. It's insane.
0: (laughs) Well, I can't think of a better spot to end the interview than that right there. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, thank you for talking with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun.
0: That was director Hannah Lux Davis. Next up, I talked to Amy Mann. 1980s, Amy Mann was the singer of Till Tuesday. After that, she went on to a successful solo career. She was nominated for an Oscar for her work on the film Magnolia, and has even appeared on the show Portlandia as herself. She also makes funny music videos. I've directed two of them. I invited Amy Mann over to talk about what it's like for an artist when it comes time to make a music video. Here's our conversation. Joining me on Videohead right now is singer-songwriter Amy Mann. Amy Mann, how are you doing today? I'm good. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I want to talk to you about making a music video from the perspective of an artist. Now, you were in a band in the 80s called Till Tuesday. Yes. And you kind of came up through a very traditional like get signed to a label system and part of that is making music videos
2: which i i think to me it's hilarious to even have the word traditional <laughs> applied because it, you know because of the when we first made videos it was like MTV had just started. So videos were this brand new thing that I think people like put a lot of expectations on. Not, I think people didn't really think of it as like, oh, here's a marketing adjunct as much as this will replace uh, touring entirely or this will replace, yeah, like it was almost seen like, no, this is going to be a revolutionary... I mean, it it was revolutionary, but just in ways that people didn't really expect.
0: And you come from sort of like uh, an underground music background. Did you ever make music videos like with your friends and stuff for fun? Or that was not even on the radar? That
2: was not on the... Because it was, you know, I mean, I think that is... You know, it was all film, you know, yeah. film cameras, and that stuff was too expensive. And you know, with film, came a, you had to have a lot of lights, and then there was crew and the sound. You know, like it was a whole, it was a whole thing that really necessitated a big crew. And I, you know, now you can do videos that look good or look interesting uh, and have it really, really scaled down. I mean, you know, people do stuff on iPhones and it looks great.
0: Yeah. Do you remember when the? <laughs> when the label started to come to you and say like, you got to make a video now it's time.
2: I don't, it was so new that that wasn't even so much a thing of you have to make a video. It was, I think we were probably excited at the idea of, you know, being on MTV. I think it was really more like, uh, being on MTV and then sort of thinking like, Oh, what, what do we want to say in our video? You know, like what, it, cause it's, you think of it as like a little movie yeah and, um, the video that uh, that Till Tuesday did that was, you know, that was sort of the most popular or famous or whatever was for the song called Voices Carry. Down, down. You know, I remember sitting with the director and we were all like, we could really make a statement about, like, you know, like a feminist statement, sort of. I mean, but of course, nobody said the word feminism back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like this girl is gonna break free for you know controlling boyfriend and uh, you know that was very exciting because you felt like you know you were kind of saying something
0: yeah it's nice to think about that being maybe the first time somebody saw a sentiment like that yeah they're 16 years old watching mtv and they're like oh that girl dumped her boyfriend
2: yeah yeah, you know, yeah. It, is like, like it
0: was a time yeah. where you could make those connections yeah. and people would feel it you of course famously parodied that video
2: yeah uh, uh-huh. in, a,
0: in an amazing video Directed by Tom Sharpling
2: And that was Tom's idea You know And I had to go like Are you sure That people Like first of all Did people remember This video And that anyone Would th- get Sort of get the joke Of par- parodying it uh, But it really turned out To be such a brilliant idea Because it It went perfectly With the song mm-hmm. uh, The song was was a song Called Labrador That was um, Off uh, my last record And It called The Charmer ah! It It was perfect. He perfectly captured the look of it. John Worcester played the uh, abusive, controlling boyfriend, and I got to see him without a shirt. And
0: you were in it. I was very briefly in that video. And yeah. by, by the way, um, you can, of course, see this video on MTV.com. It'll be up on the post for this episode of the podcast. So if I can get back for a second to making videos sort of mm-hmm. as MTV is coming, is becoming a thing. Did you ever have a, a situation where somebody, a label said to you, like, we're going to give you all this money to make a video because videos actually, they, people spent a lot of money on videos. In yeah, those days. yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, you
2: sort of had to because it really did require, you know, crew and I mean, there was no way to do it on the on the cheap. I, I think the the voices carry video was forty thousand dollars, which is really cheap. And then I think you know later budgets were seventy or you know. So you were always trying to get more money out of the label because it was just really hard to do anything good.
0: Were you at a point where you had some control over who you got to work with? Like you think of somebody like you know Michael Stipe from REM saying like well, we're a powerful enough band that we can get. This director, who we want to hire to do his first video ever, and we can do that. We have that kind of power. Did did the label come to you with directors? Did you go out and seek people you wanted to work with then?
2: I, my, in general, my experience was that there were directors that we wanted to work with that were really great. They were all seen as too expensive, and we would wind up with, uh, you know, a director who maybe was fine but then things got kind of changed around and then the i mean there was many times where i would show up and the story that had been talked about or the vibe that had been talked about was now you know some record company guy decided that it was going to be totally different and you know you were just stuck you were like well i guess this is i'm in now this dumb video that i think is dumb Uh and that happened more than one time
0: That's a real thing for a director, too, because I just finished a video for a band down in Texas, and I wrote the treatment for it based on their original notes. Yeah. And I was really afraid, like, as I was working on it, to just say, like, this band is really trusting me with their vision. This is like a video I think that it will be the first time a lot of people see them or hear them. And it's very important. and, And I really appreciate so much a band giving you that kind of trust. But... It stinks when it turns out, you know, you maybe are in a situation where you don't have that level of connection with the yeah, artist.
2: Yeah, and I would say that it wasn't even so. More often, it wasn't a, a director taking over kind of problem. It was interference from the record label. Mm-hmm. that That's that's almost always what it was. Um, you know, but the, I mean, a couple of videos turned out okay. A couple of were just like, oh, what are we doing? You know, like you just feel like it's thrown together. There's not enough money, there's not enough time. Or it's not a great idea or it's an idea that sounded good on paper and then its execution was like, oh, this is not at all what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I wasn't like a big film buff or anything. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't really generating a lot of mm-hmm. very, you know, definitive ideas. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, there were, there were directors that I would have loved to work with and tried to get and it just, it was, you know, just like not happening. It was too, they were too expensive.
0: Well, and I think one of the reasons that the Labrador video ended up working so well is because the Voices Carry video is from that era when things were very serious and and everything was getting, you know, getting a lot of, you know, people are giving you notes from the studio and there's a lot of hands involved. And then Labrador is the complete undoing of that, sort of the culmination of a bunch of videos that you made before that, which is sort of reinvented you as a funny person or a person who made funny videos becoming part of your identity.
2: Which I I love that. And, uh, you know, I think the Voices Carry video, because it was so early on, it really was meet with a director, the artist meets with a director, and the two of them come up with a thing. And... You know, it was more like your film. You know, f- three minutes. Is- you're going to tell a little story. It's like a little short mm-hmm. film. That's kind of the way. You know, initially, I think most people thought of thought of videos, and then you know, later it became more more visually interesting. Things were happening, but just so so soon after that, I just, I feel like videos really became a hodgepodge. Yeah. You know, and I it it was no longer where you. Choose a director, and you and the director kind of come up with a the thing. There was a there was a too many cooks sc- mm-hmm. scenario.
0: Yeah, and now, you, you know, you fast forward to the late '90s, and you start getting to work with people you want to work with, and make like you yeah. know working with Tim Heidecker or whoever, or Tom Sharpling, and making a music video that's funny and sort of cast you in a new way to the yeah. point, that, you know, there's a portlandia episode named after you i mean you know i
2: mean i love i love uh you know even though we're obviously doing videos for virtually zero budget uh uh, i love that there's so much uh there is no record company to like you know the the limits are just are, are just monetary limits i like that i can do whatever i want just you know within the the scope of what we can get away with or what ideas we have you know that's much more fun
0: Amy, thank you very much for joining me on Videohead.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Amy Mann talking about what it's like to be on the musician side of the camera. Thanks to my guests this week, Hannah Lux Davis and Amy Mann. I'm Daniel Ralston, at Daniel Ralston on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and give us a rating on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it helps a lot. You've been listening to Videohead on the MTV Podcast Network.
1: This episode of Videohead was produced by Mukta Mohan, Michael Kitano, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network. The Videohead theme song is by Roxanne Clifford. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. And subscribe to this and other MTV Podcasts wherever you find your favorite shows.